Hello everyone, my name is Ryan and you're listening to The Vegan Report. If you're vegan for the animals and you care to do more for animal rights, but you're not sure where to start, then this podcast is for you. Every week, let yourself fall in love with passionate animal rights leaders who will inspire you to find your voice, your own special contribution to the animal rights movement, however small or big it is. Today, we are going to talk about Catholicism and veganism. The Catholic Churches count around 1.3 billion believers, which represents the largest Christian grouping worldwide. Historically, the influence of the Catholic Church has been transformative, to say the least. Nowadays, it still represents a far-reaching cultural and political force. And I wonder, what would the world look like if the Catholic Church embraced the cause of veganism? I know what you're thinking, this is just a fantasy, it will never happen. But that means you have not been paying attention to the Church, which is slowly but surely getting more and more concerned for animal welfare, opening the door for vegan advocacy. Let me give you one example among many. Back in 2015, Pope Francis wrote in an encyclical, which is basically a letter addressed to the entire church, clearly, and I'm quoting now, clearly the Bible has no place for a tyrannical anthropocentrism, unconcerned for other creatures. And I looked up the definition of anthropocentrism, and it means regarding humankind as the central or most important element of existence, especially as opposed to God or animals. And he continues, This responsibility for God's earth means that human beings endowed with intelligence must respect the laws of nature and the delicate equilibria existing between the creatures of this world. And let me just repeat the first part. Clearly, the Bible has no place for a tyrannical anthropocentrism and concern for other creatures. This sounds strangely as a denunciation of animal exploitation like we know it to be. To talk about this topic, I have with me Daniel Mascarenhas. Uh, Daniel is a Jesuit scholastic studying to be a Catholic priest. As a vegan, he speaks publicly in defense of animal welfare, making a point that the teachings of his faith go hand in hand with veganism. He is notably the one behind the website vegancatholic.org, and you will find the link in the description, which offers resources and arguments encouraging Catholics to become vegan. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. It's good to be here. It's good to talk about veganism. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Where are you based? How old are you? Those kind of things. Uh, yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, I'm a Jesuit scholastic, which basically means a seminarian. Uh, so I'm studying to be a priest. I have been in the Jesuits in the Society of Jesus for seven years now. Uh, God willing, I'll be ordained in three years. So I'm currently studying theology at Boston College. Uh, I'm 36 years old. I grew up in South India, and I moved to the U.S. about 14 years back for graduate school in mechanical engineering. I worked in tech for a while in California, and then I entered the Jesuits. Uh, I grew up Catholic. I had my 
ups and downs with the faith during my college years, but uh, now I can say that I'm devoutly Catholic. You know, you are in training, like you said, to become a Catholic priest. And I mean, no disrespect, but most of what I know about Catholic priests, I learned from horror movies. And recently there was one uh, released called The Pope's Exorcist, and I think it featured the actor uh, Russell Crowe. So let me ask you, what is the function of a Catholic priest? What kind of commitment does it require from you? And is it like any other job, but your employer is your church like a rabbi? Uh, I have watched The Exorcist, which is the, I think it's from the 70s or the 80s, a famous movie. It was actually, I think, based on a story in St. Louis, where I lived for three years. So I had some idea about the movie. I don't like horror movies, so I don't know much about how the Catholic Church is portrayed in horror movies. Uh, As a priest, um, you know, my role is basically to kind of accompany people in their faith. in the Catholic Church, we have something called the sacraments, which is, um, you know, the most common one that you might think of is Holy Communion. So when you go to church, you receive Holy Communion. So as a priest, uh, you know, you can think of, of a priest as a, as a mediator, someone who is chosen by the people of God to kind of mediate a relationship between them and God. Obviously, we can relate to God directly as well. Uh but the Catholic Church believes that all of us have different functions. And so the priest's main job is to accompany people in their faith by uh, by providing the sacraments. Um, I think that would be kind of a very basic overview of what the priest does. Uh, in terms of like employer-employee relationship, you know, since I worked in, in tech for a while, I would say it's very different. Um, I hope I'm serving God first. Uh, I do have uh, a local... Uh, a boss, if you maybe call them superior. So basically, uh, my superior kind of talks to me and sees how am I doing, what am I interested in, where is there a need, the church, uh, and so we are sent to different places. So right now, I'm obviously studying, so that's my main job. But once I finish studying, uh, then my superior will will talk to me and see what am I interested in, and he might suggest certain things that that there is a need in, uh, in the church or in the country where I can be sent. Uh, so it's a very dialogue-based uh, relationship uh, with my employer. So as I understand it, you know, it's a, it's a life call. You know, it's a, it's a 24-7 function. It's not something, you know, do you take breaks as a Catholic priest? Do you take like a, a week off or something like that? Or is it really like a full-time commitment? Uh, yeah, so we take vows. They're called the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, so it's a way of life, as you correctly mentioned. Um, it's not like I can switch off uh, being a seminarian or a priest. Uh, but we're not studying or working all the time. Um, so it is a way of life. So every day we need to live our lives as a good witness to the gospel. All of us should, at least all of us as Christians, should be doing that. But as a priest, we are especially called to be good witnesses to the gospel all the time. But that doesn't mean we work all the time. Um, as a student, I basically have a student uh, schedule. You know, uh, there's classes and homework and reading and so on. Um, I enjoy being outside. So in the summers or during fall break or spring break or winter break, I like to go camping and hiking when I can. I like to ride my bicycle, play tennis. Um, and so, depending on what hobbies we have, 
uh, that is free time. And we also do some ministry at the church. But, you know, as it's in the Bible, God took rest on the seventh day. And so we are all invited to, to make sure we have a good balance of work uh, and, and rest uh, and see what, how do we like to use the time for, for relaxation in a way that, that brings us joy. So for me, it's mainly being outside. Uh, or I like to work on my vegan website, uh, or uh, I like to bake. So those are my hobbies. Well, thank you. I, I'm learning new things about, you know, Catholicism and what it's like to be a priest. Because in my mind, it was very something like a, a mystical calling. Like you go on top of a mountain and you become unreachable. But you you're making the point that no, you're reachable. You're still, you know human being you don't you know there's no you know, saint aura around you once you become a priest you, you still have you know hobbies and and things like that uh which is good to know yeah it is it is healthy to have uh i mean interest besides uh your work all even though serving the church and serving god's people is like my highest calling i think it is helpful to have other pursuits and interests that that open up ourselves to other things in the world uh, or to new new relationships with other people, something that brings the creative side out. Uh, so I think we all look for a good, healthy balance. Uh, to have good relationships, you know, uh, to make friends. It's very important to have time. If you're working all the time, uh, it would be really hard to have good relationships with, with friends and family. So we are encouraged to, to have those relationships uh, with people around us. That needs time. Or that needs common interests. And so I live with a bunch of guys here uh, and we're always trying to figure out what people like to do. Like yesterday, I played tennis with one of my Jesuit brothers. He's from France. Um, and we had a really good game. I mean, it's kind of fun to find somebody who's about the same level as me. Uh, so it was a good fun competitive time. How did you come to... Um, you know, was it something like a, a true calling? Like um, you, you did not have control over it it was like a overwhelming feeling and you had to become a priest or is it like a gradual discovery of the faith and at the most more basic level how did you discover catholicism and you become became interested was it um were you raised as a catholic uh so i'm really curious about because i mean you have chosen something um a vocation that is um you don't see many people making that choice it is a bit radical it is a bit like becoming vegan actually uh, in in how radical it is so could you talk about that uh yeah i grew up catholic uh i grew up in south india uh, and my family has been catholic for many years now i guess going back around 200 years or so, maybe longer. Um, I had, you know, I grew up in a pretty traditional sense of being Catholic culturally, um, and I kind of fell away from my faith during college. Uh, but there were a couple of things that that made me think a little bit. One was an incident in college where I was involved in, uh, in an outing to the beach and, and some of the students drowned. And so being close to death uh, as a college student uh, made me reflect on the big picture, you know, what is life about? 
and uh, how is God supposedly present in this moment of grief and suffering? Uh, what is the point of uh, of things that happen around us? Is it this pure accident that is completely a luck of the draw that these uh, young men died, or was there some greater meaning, uh, some sort of overall purpose? So that kind of made me think a little bit more and helped me kind of like go beyond my engineering studies. And then when I moved to the U.S., I, I met a priest who I felt was the first person who I could talk to about the supposed conflict between science and religion. And, uh, you know, the, the basic questions about Genesis, obviously, how, how did the world come to be, or uh, the Galileo affair, so on. And it was really helpful for me to, to work through those ideas with, with a companion for the father Bob, who, you know, kind of tried his best to answer the questions, but more importantly, encouraged me to seek the answers myself through conversation, through reading, and so on. And so gradually, I I came to be mo more comfortable with the idea of the Catholic faith, that it makes sense, it's logical. You know, obviously, it cannot be proven scientifically, but uh, faith is a different kind of, of knowledge, so you it's not the same as scientifically proving something. Uh, and so I was I got more comfortable with the idea of different kinds of knowledge, you know, scientific knowledge and the kinds of knowledge. And uh, yeah, and so I think that was a good good meeting with Father Bob. And so I see my faith more from a standpoint of uh, if you have heard about Bayes' theorem, so in statistics there's when you're trying to predict uh, a future outcome, there's no 100% certainty. All you can do is you can increase or decrease the probability of something happening based on current evidence. And so with my faith as well, I'll be honest, there's no way to 100% know that Catholicism is true. There is just no way. And so all you can do is continue seeking out uh, what is out there. What are people talking about? What about scripture? What about experience? Like, how do you sense God's presence in your life? Uh, does morality make sense uh, in the Catholic Church? Does morality make sense without the Catholic faith or without the Christian faith? Uh, and so all these things give me the confidence that, uh, that that God is present and God wants me to follow a certain path. It is not 100%. Uh, nothing in life is 100%. Uh, and so I think my, my faith is mostly based on the idea of acquired confidence that increases my experience and God is like, continuously inviting me. So when you talk about a call, you know, it's not like God told me that you should do this or else, you know. It's more like a sense of God gently inviting me. Um, and for me, I never thought I would be a priest when I was younger. It was not something I ever thought about. I got the call, if you may, uh, one fine day when I was praying. I was just sitting in this chapel at I wouldn't even call it praying. I, I would just sit there uh, two or three times a week kind of in silence just as a way to collect myself because life is pretty busy when you work in tech. And uh, I just got to start, what would I be happiest doing? I just had to start, like, what would I be happiest doing? And for some reason, the answer came a priest. Uh, and I thought to myself, oh, that has not happened before. I have never thought of being a priest. But I thought, okay, this would be a good time to continue reflecting on that idea because 
I felt more energized and excited when I talked to people about uh, the bigger picture, right? Where are we going you know, after this, after our life here? What is the point of our life here? Uh, and things like that. What is the meaning of suffering? Uh, things like that. Those kind of conversations gave me more energy and excitement as compared to working in tech. And so I felt like through that, and then I talked to some priests and, and asked them, you know, what gives joy to their life? Like, what makes them happy? What gets, makes them excited to get out of bed in the morning? And so the more conversations I had with people who were in this life, the more I felt like I want to do that. Like, I want to be part of this where I can journey with people as they seek something deeper, something more meaningful. Eventually, there was no way. Again, my life is not with 100% certainty. <laughs> it's always going to be the case. There's no way to know if that's what God wants me to do. So I figured the only way to do it is to try it out, see how I feel. And so for seven, it's been seven years now, I'm still here. And I just feel like this is where God wants me to be. There's joy in my life. There's excitement. There's a sense of purpose. And I feel that's how God calls us, uh, by, by giving us a sense of, of purpose and a sense of feeling like this is what it's meant to be. Now, God will not be unhappy if I leave or try something else. I think the main thing God wants from me is to seek Him. Uh, there are many ways to to, uh, to follow God, and there might be some other way out there. Uh, but for me, it seems like this is the place that God wants me to be. So it's an it's more of an invitation, I would say. Uh, the word "call" can sometimes have a a more like a strong connotation. An invitation is uh, respects my freedom and my choices. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. Um, you know, another perception I have of our Catholic priest is. Uh, the austerity that comes with this vocation and you don't think about uh, being a catholic priest as something joyous or you know um, that brings a lot of happiness in one's life you, you think of a, someone who is very um who has you know lots of austerity lots of um you know, just being very serious but yeah i'm so glad that we live in a world where this is an option uh, where you can choose uh, to become a Catholic priest to just uh, go beyond, you know, worldly matters and things like that, and and find a lifestyle that truly truly suits uh, your needs or your personality uh, in that way. Because thinking about it, um, there are not a lot of jobs resembling Catholic priest. Maybe a philosophy teacher. In the university, maybe. <laughs> um, so becoming vegan is, I, I said earlier, a bit like um, becoming a priest, but actually it's more like converting to another religion because it you make such radical changes in your life that there is no other comparable experience than converting to another religion. At least that's my perception. Um but becoming vegan was a decision closely related to your fate, and uh, you actually published some essays essays related to that uh, on your website. So tell us the story of your vegan journey. How did you become vegan, and why did you start advocating for veganism? Because it's one thing to become vegan, but to take the step further, you know, to create. Uh, your website and start speaking up about veganism that's something else entirely yeah that's uh, the, the, there are two parts of that question the first thing about why I became vegan you know I would say 
I think I always had that at the back of my mind. So when I was young, I grew up uh, in the village. And so we had chickens and pigs for a while. And every time we slaughtered any of them, I, uh, there was always something in me that, that would move me. And I would try to be out of the house. And I knew that but that we're going to be slaughtering a chicken or a pig in our backyard because I didn't want to hear the noise, the squealing, right? Uh, that was when I was young. And I think as we grow up, we are forced to think about like, okay, that's just how it is. You know, that's what we we do. That's what we, we eat. So you just have to deal with the pain somehow because there's no other option. Uh, and I think I grew up to that. And then when I was, uh, when I finished college, I was kind of like briefly interested in care for the environment. And I, I think I read an article saying that, you know, that meat and dairy is like the biggest contributor to global warming and things like that, or climate change, as we call it now. Uh, so I became vegetarian for a while, uh, right after college, for maybe about a year or so, um, because I cared about the environment. Then I moved to the U.S. It was really hard to be vegetarian in the U.S., or at least I didn't try hard enough. So I forgot about that. Then Pope Francis wrote that encyclical, which you mentioned at the beginning. And I thought, okay, like I'm Catholic and the Pope says we need to care for creation, but I don't seem to be doing anything about it. And so I remembered my time about being vegetarian. I was like, okay, I guess I could do that again. And so I became a, a weekday vegetarian. So I would not eat meat uh, at all Monday through Saturday and only eat on Sunday. And so I thought, okay, if everybody could reduce their meat consumption by 90%, we would, you know, really reduce our carbon emissions. I was like, okay, that makes sense logically. So all of us should aim to reduce our meat consumption by 90%. So those were, I think, baby steps. And then one day, I mentioned this in my website, this is like, you know, an important part of my journey. Uh, I met a student. So I was at St. Louis University studying philosophy. You know, I did think a little bit about the problem of evil, like the problem of suffering. There's so much suffering in the world. Like, what is God? doing about this like why is god not putting an end to suffering so i had that sense of like okay there is suffering in the world where is god what is god doing about this and one day when i was uh, at the university a student he was a hindu uh, and from india or at least of indian descent uh, so he recognized that i'm from india so he came and talked to me and said okay like you know you you are catholic you're going to become a priest and you say that you are following jesus it's supposed to be like this really role model about peace and compassion and kindness, you know, the gospel, Jesus talked about love and care. So how can you as a follower of Jesus uh, participate in something that's so cruel, something that's, you know, so unnecessary uh, and still call yourself a disciple, right? And I thought, you know, wow, that, like, that's a good question. And I said, the Catholic Church, I've never really heard uh, that eating meat is a sin, you know, is considered bad, like everybody eats meat in the those who are Catholics. But I gave it some thought, and you know, it really made sense to me that like the idea of being a Christian, being a Catholic, is about following Jesus. And if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, then I I need to live the way He called us to live: show kindness and compassion. And uh, obviously, showing kindness to a human is different from showing kindness to a dog or a cow. And it's different from showing kindness to a tree because a tree and a dog and a human experience love and kindness differently. But they all do experience kindness. And so what does it mean to show kindness to all? And so that really stood with me. And I was like, you know what? I, 
this is an important thing to talk, think about. I'm also physically very healthy. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I don't want to like spoil my health. You know, maybe meat is needed for good functioning of my physical body. And I thought, I don't want to just give up meat and then become unhealthy. So I started doing some online research on Mayo Clinic uh, and Cleveland Clinic, like reputed websites in the U.S. And they seem to suggest that it is, it is quite okay to be vegan and be healthy. You get all the nutrients that you need. And then I watched the documentary Game Changers. Um, and, uh, you know, they talk a lot about how it actually improves one's health. But for me, it was less about high performance. I mean, I like being outside, but I'm not a high performance athlete. All I wanted to know was whether a vegan diet is neutral, meaning can I just be healthy? I don't have to be a high performance athlete. And it turned out to be the case. Yes, it was. So you can be vegan. You can get all the nutrients you need. Uh, and that's it. Like, so why am I eating meat? Uh, like, I don't need to eat meat. And if I eat meat uh, or dairy or eggs, I'm causing unnecessary suffering. And around the same time, I also started reading about the Catholic Church uh, stance on the issue. And there were a couple of lines that stood out to me, like two points uh, specifically, besides the idea of following Jesus. One was in the Bible, in Genesis, it says, God gave humans uh, plants to eat. It very clearly says in, in the creation story that God gave humans plants to eat, not plants and animals. Later on, obviously, people started eating meat. But the idea is that God initially intended humans to eat plants. That was in, that's in the Bible. And the other is there's a line in the Catechism. So besides the Bible, the Catholic Church also has a book called the Catechism, which is like a list of, of teachings on, on all sorts of topics. And there's a line that talks about our relationship with animals that says it is contrary to human dignity, so it's not good for humans. Uh, to cause animals to die needlessly. Okay, so it is not good for humans to cause animals to die needlessly. Now, the word needless is doing a lot of heavy lifting there, meaning you can cause animals to die if it is needed, obviously. Yes. Uh, but it is not good if you cause animals to die needlessly. Now, the question is, is meat needed? So in, in, the, in an English sense, the word need is something that you can that you cannot do without like you have to have it right so i like to give the example of of uh driving a car right so if you want to go from point a to point b uh i need a car say it's really far away i need a car to go from a to b but do i need a ferrari right no i could drive a toyota right uh, i still need to get from point a to point b but what would be the best way to do it that would be in line with being a follower of Jesus? So Toyota would be something that's simple. It uses less money. It uses less uh, less gas. So, you know. so do I need a car? Yes. Uh, do I need a Ferrari? No. So I think of it as neat as being the Ferrari, right? Like it is like a luxury. It is not needed. Uh, I could still survive and be happy and healthy by eating beans. So in that sense... Meat is needless. That's the way I, I see it, right? Meat could be needed if you are on a desert island, right? And you're dying of hunger and the only thing you can eat is, is like a deer. Well, you have to eat it. But in our culture here, it is. I think meat is needless. So anyway, those are the two lines 
about the, the Catholic faith that I think point towards the idea of, of care for animals. As to why I speak out about it, uh, I think I wrote an essay about uh, when silence is not an option. The idea basically is, in our culture, we are very used to the idea that, hey, you do what you want, don't tell me what to do. You know, it's a very libertarian view of things. I don't subscribe to it, but a lot of people say that's how we are supposed to be. But okay, fine, you do you. But the problem with you do you is, when there is a victim involved, then what happens, right? So, for example... If I steal something from somebody else, from Jim on the street, uh, we don't say, okay, Daniel, you do you. You want to steal something from Jim, fine. No, we, we speak on behalf of Jim because Jim is a victim of robbery, right? Uh, we think we should care for Jim because Jim might not be able to care for himself. Maybe he's old or maybe he's disabled or maybe, I don't know, he doesn't want to fight. So in our society, we do speak on behalf of victims, like all sorts of victims, murder, theft, rape, other things. And so animals are voiceless victims. And so we cannot really just say, you do you, right? Okay, I'm not eating meat, but I cannot just say, you do you, because we always speak up for victims uh, in other cases, like robbery. We don't say, hey, you can go and rob whatever you want. I will not rob, but you can do what you want. That's not how it works. right? And so our Catholic faith calls us to speak on behalf of the victim, right? Uh, especially when the victim is voiceless. Uh, and so that is my, my motivation, the idea that God calls us to love uh, and also to encourage other people to love. So it's not like I just do my loving, I follow God's commands, and hopefully I will get to heaven. I don't care about you. So my idea of speaking up about veganism, is I think that veganism is a good thing. Okay, it's, it's a way that is calling me to love more fully, more completely, right? And so if I have found something good, I want to tell my friend Mike about this idea that, that, that uh, shows me how to love more completely. So if Mike is my friend, I would want to tell Mike, hey, Mike, you know, I think God is calling us to love all creatures. And I think I would, I want to invite you to consider loving all creatures as well. So it comes from a place of love, both for the victim and for the person who's committing problem, right? So when it comes to meat, I, I want to love the animals who are voiceless and suffering. So I want to love them and speak on their behalf. Uh, and I also want to love Mike, who's eating meat, because I want to tell Mike, I think there's a better way to live here, where you can show more kindness and compassion. And, and so it's from a place of love, right? Uh, so in the Catholic faith, the definition of love is is uh, to will the good of the other for their sake. Okay, so I must wish the good of the other for their own sake. So when I speak about veganism, it's from a place of love. I want to love the animal. I want to wish them well. I don't want animals to suffer. And I also want to love Mike, uh, who's eating meat, because I feel Mike is not being fully kind and compassionate. Uh, and so if, if I think this is a joyful and meaningful life of being vegan, I want my friend Mike to also participate in a joyful and meaningful life. Is that making sense? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah. I, I'm so happy that you put it that way, because that's how I actually feel, you know, when 
people ask me about my veganism, I always say it comes from a place of love. It's not that I feel um, pain thinking about animals and what they're going through, uh, or I feel guilt or I feel anger. It's truly because I love animals and I want people around me to to share that love for for animals. Yeah, and you know, I think it's important to also talk about love for people who eat meat, you know, because I myself ate meat for many years. But secondly, uh, to see that it is not casting judgment on meat eaters. So if I tell my friend Mike about vegan, it's not because I want to feel superior or I want to kind of put him down and kind of criticize his life and pass and pass some judgment on Mike. But I want to tell Mike like this idea of caring for animals this idea of showing kindness and compassion is a more meaningful life. It is a more joyful life. And it is this living more closely to the call of love and compassion that Jesus talks about. So if Mike is Catholic, I will, I will obviously approach Mike from a Catholic standpoint and say, like, Jesus calls us to love and show compassion. So, Mike, like, what does it mean to show love and compassion to a cow or a dog? And so if you think this will be a better way to live according to what Jesus is inviting us to do. Uh, so it's important to also talk about love for people who eat meat uh, because I think a lot of times vegans can be seen as judgmental uh, you know, and, and like trying to like prove you wrong. But no, I think if we approach it from a space, from a standpoint of love, that Mike, like I love you, I care about you. Uh, and so here is something I think a more meaningful and joyful way to live. Uh, that would be a very different approach from trying to prove that Mike is wrong. Well, that's a difficult one. And I certainly had to work uh, on it because, you know, when I first became vegan, I I had so much anger for people around me and uh, for meat eaters. And, you know, I almost became that vegan who, you know, will not sit at, at the a table where there is meat served or something like that, who, you know, I'm, I don't want to put judgment on vegans who, who take that stance because it might be uh, a good uh, way to advocate for veganism, you know, showing, showing how veganism is important for you, uh, to your, to the people around you by, you know, taking the, 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 the radical position of not sitting at the same table as they are. So maybe this is like, you can see it um, as a advocating technique uh, strategy. But um, if I'm thinking about the feelings, you know, I had that anger and I often talk about it in my, in, in those, uh, in this podcast about the upset and the anger that many vegans feel uh, toward um, other meat eaters, how they are frustrated with the situation, how they don't feel understood, how there's this horrible thing happening out there, and nobody seemed to, to pay attention to it, and the the, the you know pent up feelings that um, you you have thinking about it. So yeah, I I, I really had you know, personally had to work on it just for the sake of my mental health. And that's what I say to vegans. You know, you don't have to forgive the the meat eaters or the people participating in the exploitation of animals or not even love them. Maybe you're not at that um, 
you know, level. Um, but at least don't feel upset about it because it's going to eat away your mental health. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, we all have our journeys on how to come to terms with, with when the rest of the world doesn't seem to care. I'm actually working on, a, on an essay about, about the idea of living in hope. So for a Catholic, a hope is a very important virtue. Uh, so for us, hope is the idea that God has good things uh, planned for us in the future, and we know that God will give it to us. So I think that there are good things in the future, that like God will, will bring peace on earth. Um, you know, yeah, it is, it is, we all have different ways of dealing with it. One thing when I get upset, I, so I live with all non-vegans. So I, I have to see meat every day in my house at dinner. Like, and it's hard. So first I pray, I, I always pray. So I pray to, that God gives me the strength to, to, to persevere, to continue with this cause, but also to just be kind and compassionate to the people around. I pray for the animals who had to die. For this and I pray that God, you know, bless them wherever they are up to their death. And I think there's also a prayer in me that says that even if I don't see the results of my activism, it doesn't matter, right? We are called to do good things. God invites us to do good things, even if nobody else is doing anything good, right? So I doing good does not depend on how many people are doing. I'm invited by God to do good. So I'm trying my best to do good. Um, I trust that God, the future sometime, will bring peace on earth. So in our Catholic tradition, we believe that there will, like Jesus will come again. There will be the last judgment. And, you know, in the end, God will, will bring justice and mercy for all. So there's a sense that this is beyond my control, Right. Even if I'm the most famous vegan speaker out there, it is not going to change everybody. Like, that's just a given. I'm going to die long before people become vegan. That is just true. Like, not to compare myself, you know, uh, with any great social justice uh, advocates out there. But, you know, Martin Luther King comes to mind. Like, he knew he would be long dead before there's justice, you know, racial justice. Jesus also died well before, you know, uh, everything else that was supposed to happen happened. So there's a real sense that I'm not in charge. God is in charge, right? So I say my prayers. I pray that God gives me the strength. I pray for the animals. I pray for my friends and my Jesuit brothers that their hearts will be converted. Uh, and I just remind myself that God is in charge. Like I'm not in charge. God is inviting me to do what I can. I also have a, a section on my website for prayers, especially for prayers that are asking us to like let go and let God be in charge and do what we can. Right? There's a real sense of freedom and confidence that I will not see the results. I will not change the world. That's okay. Uh, I do what I can. I continue to ask God, okay, God, what do you want from me? And I will try my best. If the world doesn't change, that is God's uh, responsibility. God has a plan. Uh, for me, that is a constant prayer, right? That let me let go. I have not converted a single person in my life to veganism. 
Okay, nobody has become vegan because of my advocacy. Like, let me just put it out there. But that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean I should stop talking about it or stop being vegan. It's fine. Even if no one changes, that's okay. This is what God invites me to do. I'm doing my best. God is in charge. I hope that's helpful. First of all, you don't know. I mean, maybe you have influenced someone and that person hasn't just did not reach out. You know, that happened to me. There was someone close to me who one day reached out and said, I'm vegan. And part of the reason why is because of you. You know, you have been a good example and you made me discover that whole world. And I was like, why didn't you say anything earlier? <laughs> I mean, that would have been great That's for my self-esteem if I had known uh, maybe two years earlier. But um, yeah, and also I I am realizing how important religion is um, in you know maintaining um, a sort of mental health in our modern modern society. We tend to you know put religion aside, but truly when you think about the great um, people behind social justice movements like Martin Luther King, like Nelson Mandela uh, and others, faith had played a big role in uh, their activism um, and I think had um, participated in preventing that um, activism fatigue that many of us have um, but in their case it was about you know, racial justice uh, another cause but yeah I, I think that spirituality can can be helpful for for some vegans out there um, in you know maintaining um, their their beliefs maintaining their their mental health yeah you know I don't want to speak on behalf of of vegans who are not spiritual or not religious. So we all have to figure out what will give us Because I tend to see, at least in my conversations with vegans, in person but also online, there is a lot of emphasis on on the effect that they are having. on us. So as I said, nobody has converted because of me. I'm fine with that. Because my idea of being vegan is so that I can serve God. I can get closer to God. Uh, you know, and that is independent of what happens around me. So if one does not have that sense of, of a higher purpose, then the purpose has to come from around you. So if it is not from there, it has to come from around, right? And so if around you, you are seeing no effect at all, people are just eating meat all the time, you are surrounded by meat, no one seems to care about your veganism, no one wants to talk to you about veganism, or no one wants to talk to you because you are vegan now. Now you've suddenly, your purpose that is coming from around you seems hopeless. My purpose comes from God. So that sense that, okay, like no matter what is happening around me, I'm invited to follow God and try my best to invite other people. Uh, you know, And there's a real sense that even if there are no results, that's fine. I have lived the, the best way I can the way God invited me. And God is in charge. So there's a real sense of letting go, right? And, and so I think for me, spirituality is an important factor. And the other place where I think spirituality ha has been important for me in the whole conversation about veganism is I've actually had this conversation with people where they say, how do you know, like, 
why is killing animals bad? And if there's no uh, like transcendent element to this, there is no right and wrong. So those who are radical materialists, all that is is atoms and molecules. I'm made of atoms and molecules. The tree is made of atoms and molecules. The dog is made of atoms and molecules. There is no morality. There's no right and wrong. Like, why is it wrong to kill a dog? If I want to eat a dog, I should eat a dog. The only reason I will not kill a dog is because I might be sent to jail. Because that is, at least in the U.S., you cannot kill dogs. Um, so then morality becomes dependent only on the law. And so it is impossible to have a conversation with somebody who just does not care, uh, who does not believe there's a right or a wrong. There is no sense of like, heaven or judgment. Uh, I'll just do whatever I want as long as I don't get arrested. That is a very common morality in the U.S. I will do whatever I want as long as I don't, I don't get arrested. Well, there's no way to have that conversation. So I always approach veganism from a standpoint of, of following Jesus. If, so I can, I can only talk to Christians. Like It's really hard for me to talk to someone who doesn't have um, a wider view of the world. Because if a person doesn't care, there's nothing I can say. But if a person says he's a Christian, then I can ask him, okay, you are a Christian, you claim to follow Jesus. What do you think about Jesus' command to love uh, others? Does the others involve animals, right? Would you kill uh, a dog or a cow just for the sake of it? If Jesus is standing, imagine Jesus standing next to you. Would you kill a cow or a dog or a pig just for fun? You know, imagine you've had a nice meal of chickpeas and curry and you are fully satisfied. You know, you're, you're not hungry, you're not starving and you are hanging out with Jesus. Uh, and you see uh, a pig walking by. Would you just take a knife and slaughter the pig? What would Jesus think about that? Right. So I use Jesus as a starting point because when I talk to Christians, I know I have something in common with them. Uh, if I talk to people who are not religious, it's really hard to find a starting point. Now, if they say that they are compassionate and kind people, okay, that's a starting point. But I've had people who say they don't care. If they say they don't care, I don't know what else to say. Like, there's nothing I can say that's going to change their mind. Uh, so it's easier for me if there's some spirituality involved. You know, I would say, first of all, to those uh, people who are not religious, because I myself, I'm not someone who's particularly religious, but it brings a lot, a great deal of happiness and peace to um, follow some moral rules um, in your own life, to know that um, your presence, your existence is not causing harm to other beings, that you're actually making a good difference um, a positive difference in this world. I don't know. In in my case, that's where I find um, a great deal of meaning um, in terms of of uh, what I'm doing, my actions. Yeah, I mean that experience you were talking about about people basing their whole moral view of the world on rules and um, the legality of it. I actually encountered that with um, uh, that same scenario with religious people uh, arguing with me how, 
you know, it's not in my religion, so why should I care? You know, God does not require that from me. So, no, I, I, I will not give up meat. I will not give up dairy. And that's why I'm so happy to find people like you who, in my book, are, are more consistent. You know, for me, someone who defends the environment should be vegan. If you care about the environment and you're not vegan, then I'm sorry, but I, I won't listen to you. This is not this is not making sense. Um, just as someone who claims to be religious, who claims to follow uh, a higher purpose, but is not vegan, what are you doing? What about you know the mass slaughter of billions of sentient beings, and you're just passing by that that fact that horrible evil and saying that you're still you know um a good religious person you know doesn't make much sense to me you should at least show some sympathy to that cause if you're not ready to to become vegan uh yeah you're right there are many religious people who follow like a rules-based idea of, of faith uh, you know, I, I would invite them. So the way I see the Catholic faith, and I think the Catholic Church is talking more about this idea of moving from a rules-based approach to a, what we call a discipleship approach. So uh, the faith over time became more about following a bunch of rules, uh, doing certain things, and then hoping to go to heaven, right? And But now we talk more about discipleship. Like our whole lives now and in heaven is about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So everything needs to be viewed through that lens, right? So the way I talk to people, the, you know, the what I do with my free time, whether I go to church, you know, uh, the way I treat those who are, you know, poor, all that is about discipleship, not about that. And so I think I would encourage religious people to view Christianity, I speak of Christianity here, to view Christianity as a discipleship, a sense of every little thing brings me closer to Jesus or takes me away from Jesus. And I need to examine my life through that lens. Not whether I'm checking a bunch of things off a checklist, but whether something I do and care about uh, is it bringing me close to Jesus. You know, I think I think that's that would be a healthy way of looking uh, at our faith. And the care for the environment thing, you know, I have moved away from when we talk about care for the environment, care for creation, for two reasons. One is the word environment, or in, in Christian terms, we say creation, uh, is this amorphous, faceless entity, you know, this whole universe around me. There's no sense of relationship with that. It's just too big. Uh, the universe is so large. What can I, as a you know, small person in this huge universe, do to care for the universe, for the environment? It's just so big. It's so out there. It's, it's faceless. There's no relationship. Uh, we should talk about creatures, each individual creature. How do I care for a tree? How do I care for a dog? How do I care for a dog? Right? Those are individual creatures. Uh, that makes a relationship possible. The other reason I don't talk about care for environment as much anymore is because it becomes a sense of I care about the environment, 
because if I don't, I will be suffering. So when we talk about climate change, oh, I want to care for the environment only because I don't want to suffer or we humans don't want to suffer. So it becomes very transactional care and concern. It's no longer about care because for its own sake. It's care because I am worried what will happen if I don't care. And so I think of it more as I have received a gift from God. All of the world around me is a gift from God. How do I treat that gift with respect? Uh, so that is my concern about care for, for the environment is it becomes very transactional uh, versus the idea of receiving it as a gift and respecting it. Uh, so those are my two points about what you said. But I hope everybody is caring in some way or the other. I just feel like we could look at care for the environment slightly differently uh, because I think it will it will help us have a, a better relationship with the world around us. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I always had the belief that the the environment argument is not strong enough to convince someone to take such radical to make such radical changes in their lives and become vegan and even if it is um are they going to become to stay vegan for the following months years no they the, you know the best the best way to stay vegan i think is to think about the ethical side of things and the creatures that you you are impacting um so let me ask you something I, I'm dying to ask you, actually. Um, I'm glad, like I said before, that religious leaders like yourself are concerned with animal welfare and advocating for a vegan lifestyle. However, my criticism has always been that veganism is presented as a good addition to your spiritual religious practice. It's a plus, but it's certainly not a requirement a practice uh, that I would compare to that is uh, meditation. You know, it's a it's a plus in your religious practice, but it's not a requirement. Or um, pilgrimage, you you can make a pilgrimage, but uh, it's not a requirement. So, you know, my question is: Would you uh, consider talking about vegan lifestyle as not just a plus? in a spiritual practice, but really as a requirement, um, something that goes, um, that is the will of God, actually. And that if you're not vegan, that would be considered um, as being sinful. You know, eating meat um, should be considered sinful. So is this uh, too radical or... Did you ever consider that question uh, in those terms? Yeah, that is a rather deep and complicated question. I will not make any pronouncements on on whether it should be a requirement or church teaching. Again, I will go back to the idea of discipleship, right? The, or the idea of relationship, since that might be a more common word out there. Relationship, right? So if you love your mom, right? Um, Okay, so every interaction with your mom uh, is something that strengthens or weakens the relationship. 
So I wouldn't rule something out completely. Yeah, you could hurt your mom, but she might still have a relationship with you. But if you keep hurting her all the time, well, that's not good. So if you really care about your mom and you love your mom, you might start doing things that will strengthen that relationship, right? So that's always a good way to think about what is sin. So again, moving away from the rules-based approach, the the idea of sin now is since the past 60, 70 years, is talked more about as turning away from God. Okay, So it's not like, I did this, therefore it's a sin. It's more like, am I? is my life towards God or is it away from God? And are my actions and my thoughts moving me towards God or away from God? So any thoughts, words, or actions that move me away from God is a sin. Right? And so if we knowingly uh, participate in cruelty, I think it is turning away from God because we believe God is love. And so cruelty is not associated with love. And so that idea of, of participating in cruelty knowingly and willingly is turning away from God. Right. So I don't like to use the word requirement. Uh, again, I think I have a strong sense of freedom and free will and things like that. I think if we start viewing things as loving God and moving towards God, we will examine all aspects of our lives, not just what we eat, but the way we talk to people. What do we spend money on? We care for the poor, you know. What do I read? What kind of media I consume? Again, this is not because I'm scared of going to hell or like I'm in a straight jacket, like, you know, I'm always walking with a serious face. But the sense is I want to be with God. And so I examine all aspects of my life through that lens, including what I eat. So I wouldn't call it like rules or sin or, you know, requirement, but more of a sense of really wanting to be a follower of Jesus, and then examining all aspects of my life. So I cannot be vegan and then just be really hateful to the people who eat meat around. Like, you know, that's not helpful. Now, it's good to be vegan, but now I'm being hateful to the guys around me. Well, that's not helpful. But all aspects of my life, how am I responding to all situations in the most loving manner? And that is kind of the approach I'm trying to advocate uh, through my advocacy on my website, is that we need to view our life as a relationship with God, with people, with animals. And all of those relationships uh, have to have a positive sense to it. You have to have a sense of kindness, compassion, care. Uh, and I think I, I would I would encourage the church, who I was listening from the church, to start seeing... Uh, our faith as a relationship with Jesus, not as a, a set of rules and whether we're going to go to hell or whether we commit a sin. So, Is that a helpful answer? I'm not trying to evade your question, but I think that's the way I see it. No, I, I think I understand it because like you said earlier, you're trying to avoid uh, judging other people. And I guess it's part of that. Then let me ask you, if the church... Um, publishes like a decree or something saying, okay, now um, eating meat is considered sinful. Would you agree with that 
decreed. Would you follow that uh, position? Uh, yes, that would that would be easy for me. I would agree with it. Uh, again, so the the definition of sin, right? Again, is is uh, any action that turns you away from God. That's a sin. So if the church says eating meat turns you away from God. I would agree, right? I, I think uh, causing suffering in animals knowingly, willingly, uh, is moving ourselves away from love. God is love. So by causing suffering and pain, we are not being loving. So I would agree with that. Uh, whenever you see the word sin, church teaching, I would encourage you and other listeners to just have that definition of mind, of sin. Uh, if, if the church says something is sin, just think of it as uh, turning away from God. And I would, I would agree if the church comes up with a document that says something like that. And another question I am dying to ask you is um, about evil. I, I tend to use the word evil to describe the animal industry and animal exploitation. And I, I, I cannot find another word actually to, to, to describe that because it's such a hurtful industry, not just for you know the animals, but also for the workers, for the environment. It's like every every way you look at it, um, this industry is doing something wrong or uh, is hurting someone somewhere. Um, so I want to know, am I using this word uh, correctly? Um, can I have, you know, your theological approval of the use of this word? Um, or does evil have another meaning here um, that escapes me? Um, or And do you agree with that assessment that this industry is actually evil? Yeah, the word evil is, is rather, rather a strong word. I, I don't have a clear grasp of what is the context in the Catholic faith. The best definition I've heard of evil for shorthand is the absence of God. Right? So God in the Catholic tradition is all good. You know, God is perfect. So God is complete goodness, truth, and beauty. So an absence of God, so an absence of truth, an absence of goodness, and an absence of beauty uh, is evil. Um, in the animal industry, especially the factory farming industry, uh, I think that's an absence of goodness, right? Uh, sentient creatures, creatures who can feel pain and suffering, uh, are put in such horrible conditions for their whole life. Uh, that is a, an absence of goodness. So that's, that's evil. Um, and I would kind of use that lens of seeing the animal industry as it is an absence of goodness, and so an absence of goodness would mean an absence of God, uh, and so it could be seen as uh, as as evil. That's you know, but the word evil can be kind of a strong word, mainly because we tend to look at evil from a human suffering standpoint. A lot of people don't want to equate humans and animals, right? Uh, and so. That is where I feel there might be some concern about using the word evil in a non-human context. If we're thinking about that evil, 
how is it possible to still um, believe in a benevolent God who who is there um, um, looking at this and not intervening? Because I feel like, at least uh, in my personal experience, what makes me the most skeptical about the existence of God um, is looking at you know pictures of factory farming. It's it just makes me doubt that there is any force of goodness, <laughs> mighty force yeah. of goodness out there. Um, but I feel like this is the opposite for you. You you talked uh, in the beginning of this interview about um, that uh, drowning episode uh, that. Um, truly marked you during uh, your college years and that made you closer to God and to your faith which in my case that would have made me you know take my distance from faith and God so I'm just wondering how how do you conceptualize that whole situation how do you make sense of that great evil existing despite um, the existence of God? Yeah, you know, this, before I answer the question, I just want to clarify or make a comment about I personally don't like to uh, compare animal suffering with human suffering. It just causes too many problems in the conversation. It, it, it diverts our attention and people will immediately say, oh, you're comparing animals with humans. So I would probably not compare those two. Um, but the wider question about the existence of a loving God and the existence of evil. Um, one is, I cannot, this is an emotional response to this, I cannot imagine suffering just being random. Okay, It just seems so pointless, right? So a homeless person on the street or someone who you know, lost his legs in a, in a car crash that just being completely random and not having any meaning uh, just seems completely unfair, right? That I'm living a comfortable life, I'm healthy, I have friends, I'm happy, while somebody else is suffering. And it having no meaning or no purpose just seems so unfair. Now let's put it out there. So that was, I think, my initial point, and you remember what I mentioned about my college years, uh, so that was kind of what I was thinking about. But then from a positive sense, how do I explain it? You know, I don't want to give any philosophical explanation in case someone is actually suffering, uh, either physically or emotionally, and I'm giving some easy answers. All I will say is, I try to be humble and tell myself, I don't know the big picture, right? Uh, I once heard an example about like, think about like reading The Lord of the Rings. You know, you read the whole book and you kind of know what's happening and they finally finish the quest and, you know, goodness and kindness eventually wins and evil is destroyed. Yay, everybody's happy. But there's a long quest, right? But imagine if the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the three books, are like torn up, all the pages are scattered. And you just pick some random page somewhere, and that page is talking about the depths of evil, right? Of Sauron and all that. And you're like, wow, this is such a horrible book. Like, wow, this book is just completely about evil and pain. And But no, you have not seen the whole book, right? Uh, you, and so I remind myself that I don't know the whole book. 
God is the only one who knows the whole book. And I have to trust that God, who created me, uh, has a point, has a purpose. Otherwise, God is a trickster. God must be laughing at me right now. But I think a God who is so powerful and so mighty doesn't need means so that he can make jokes. Like, you know, it doesn't make sense to me that an all-powerful God uh, makes humans just so that he can laugh at humans, you know. Uh, so I think God has a purpose, has a plan. For me. Uh, and so that trust, when I see one page of a 2,000-page book, I have to somehow trust that the other pages have meaning and purpose. And the end, good will win, right? Uh, that God will use the suffering that is around us for some good. And animals who are suffering, I hope God will somehow redeem, redeem their suffering. Maybe animals have a faith life. You know, maybe anim like God relates to animals in a way that animals are capable of. Now, I can say a prayer because that is my human capacity, but a cow might be able to re relate to God in a way that is acceptable to the level of the cow, right? So if God created me, God gave me a way to relate to God. It's a gift from God. So if God made a cow, I trust that God has given the cow a way to relate to God. And so when a cow is in a factory farm, I just pray that God somehow relates to the cow and consoles the cow. Uh, and when the cow dies, I hope God will somehow redeem the suffering, right? Because God doesn't need our suffering. God is not a masochist. You know, God doesn't make, God is not happy by seeing us suffer, right? Because God is all powerful. Uh, God doesn't need us to make him happy. And so that is my way of seeing evil, right? To really trust that God wants good things for all of us, animals, plants, myself, you know, and that when we have evil, we have to somehow trust that the big picture, God is in charge. God is writing this book that has an ending where we will all be with God and filled with love, joy, and peace in the end. This is not the end. Uh, so there's a saying, all will be well in the end. If it's not well, it's not the end. Right? And so we truly believe that in the end, all will be well in heaven. Right now, it's obviously not well, and I have to trust it is not the end right now. And I think this will be a challenge in your vegan advocacy. Hopefully in the future you will have a congregation. I think that's the right term. And when you're going to talk about veganism, I think people will ask you about that because there are so many people out there who just don't want to confront the reality of uh animal exploitation because it's too too much you know it's too too evil too um hurtful it just uh, accepting that reality would mean to challenge your beliefs um and i think many believers including catholics out there need to to find an answer to to that because vegan veganism or vegans in general are vocal about it so you will be confronted with that reality at some point you will see you know um 
anonymous for the voiceless doing uh, uh i think they call that uh, a cube of truth in the streets showing you know footage of what is happening inside uh slaughterhouses so at some point you will be confronted with that and you will have to make a decision you know are you going to become vegan how are you going to make sense of what is happening uh and so on yeah i, I mean I obviously am confronted all the time with people around me or people asking questions. Uh, you know, and my philosophy is to continue asking questions and to continue my thought process, right? Uh, I think someone once said, like, when you are presented with new information, what do you do? You know, I change my mind. What do you do? So maybe there might be some other argument out there that I have not considered, right? That an argument for eating meat that I have not yet heard. I have not heard anything good so far, but I'm open that there might be some argument out there that I've not thought about. So I continue just being open to conversation, to being open to challenge, uh, and not to fall into the sunk cost fallacy, you know, the idea that because I have spoken so much about veganism and all that, I have to hold on to it despite all the evidence. I want to be open that if there's a really good argument out there, I would love to hear it and really consider it from a philosophical standpoint and also from a faith standpoint. It's a challenge, people. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm also very doubtful uh, about that. You know, I see what anti-vegans just, you know, how they comment on my posts and the messages they, they send me. It's mostly, you know, trying to um, attack your person or, um, you know, uh, just making jokes out of what you're saying it's never uh, a good argument or a good uh it's you know quoting a, a weird study about how i will lose my limbs because of my diet or something like that so it's always something strange my my, my final question for you would be did, did you have something to add i mean my main invitation is is this love for all of god's creatures um you know Ask yourself, what is the most important thing in your life? What do you want your life story to be when people talk about you in the present or in the future? What would you want them to say about you? Uh, and if kindness and compassion is to be a part of your story, I would invite you to consider kindness and compassion to all the creatures out there, plants, animals, humans, uh, and to really see, uh, to really make your story one that is worth celebrating. Amazing. I love that. Those are great final words. So thank you so much, Daniel, for your time, for having accepted uh, to be a guest on the podcast. And um, thank you so much for the great work you're, you are doing and for representing, um, because I'm sure there are plenty of vegan Catholics out there and who see you with, and see what you're doing and thinking, Yes, great. Some good representation. Someone who expresses our feelings out loud and who is part of the um, Catholic Church uh, leadership. So thank you so much, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you for your work as well, Ryan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really enjoyed this conversation. Daniel is very smart, thoughtful, and insightful. The Catholic clergy is lucky to have him. And I'm happy to know he is vegan. Please visit vegancatholic.org to support his work. 
If you know people who are Catholic, share with them the link to his website or, of course, to this episode. And finally, let me know if you liked this conversation. Leave me a good review or reach out to me on Instagram at Vegan Report Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Take care and see you next Tuesday for a new episode.